welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, filling in for Quincy is uh, author and uh, show regular at this point. Like, are you basically just another member of the podcast? Hell yeah. Uh, Sarah Gailey. How's Hi! It I'm here. You are here. How's things? Things are great. Um, it's been a wild few days, and it's informed me uh, emotionally for recording this podcast. Right. So you're you're in a place. I'm in a, I'm in the zone. Yeah. So wait, so why has it been an eventful few days? Uh well, Ryan and I were involved in the daring rescue of two baby squirrels yesterday. Yeah, it was wild. So we were uh so we were walking Tinkerbell and uh we see this uh, lady like hunched over on the sidewalk and so we assume that she's like picking up dog shit initially. And then I saw her framing like a photo angle on the thing on the ground and laying down cloth behind it and I was like oh she's gonna do some neighbor shaming shit she's gonna make a little sign that says like pick up your dog shit and yeah then, neighbors you know leave it there like an asshole so I'm like oh this person's an asshole so I don't want to make eye contact with her um <laughs> this is a lot of mental math you've done instantly upon seeing this person at all times yeah and then she looks up at me and she's got this like like huge eyes and oh my goodness face on and she says are you seeing this shit and I was like oh I really don't want to but of course I looked and uh, it wasn't dog poop at all it was some baby squirrels some tiny baby squirrels on the sidewalk in the windstorm in the cold um looking like squirmy little hush puppies I mean, they were really still when we found them, I feel like. Yeah, they were they were curled up on themselves. Like, you know, like when you see like a dead roach? Yeah. It's like that. Just legs very... And obviously they're trying to conserve heat. It was like really windy and they probably got knocked out of their squirrel tree or something. Whatever. They're a little... I don't know if they're like in a nest up there or if they've got a tree house. Do they have like condos? Like what, what are squirrels? What's the situation with squirrel homes? Squirrel apartments. Squirrel apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... This lady looks at me and she's like, I don't know what these things are or what to do with them. And I was like, well, I know what they are. They're baby squirrels and I know what to do with them. Uh, take them home and make them warm and then call my sister who's a vet and say, what do I do with squirrels? <laughs> that's what you do with squirrels. That's, mm-hmm. what they, that's what they tell you to do is to call your sister who knows from squirrels. Uh, and so, yeah, so we ran them out to a uh, squirrel-specific rescue. Which, by the way, there are a lot of in Los Angeles. And, like, not even just wildlife rescues. Like, like specifically squirrel rescues and they talk to each other i talked to one lady who was like oh uh you know you should talk to this other squirrel woman she doesn't have as many squirrels as i do right now because i have 19 that's a weird fucking flex you know she doesn't have as many squirrels as i do but you know she's trying i respect it we're all very proud of her when are you gonna make up your mind when are you gonna have as many squirrels as i do exactly i honestly uh it was it was a great experience mostly because um, Tinkerbell did not know what to do about the baby squirrels. I don't think that she recognized that we had baby squirrels. Which is really a shame because squirrels are the subject of her doctoral thesis. Yeah, squirrels, what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time we, every time we walk her. Um, so squirrels aside, Sarah, what, what ghoul shit have you been, uh, up to or into or about, uh, this week? I'm going to count Project Runway Season 16 as ghoul shit mm-hmm. because it has some terrifying twins on it, uh, the the Wheatendorp twins, who whoo, speak in unison a lot. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think we've done Dead Ringers on the podcast yet, but there's a level of codependence there between the, the Bwiet- Is it Wheatendorp or Bittendorp? You, Ryan keeps thinking that it's Bittendorp, and I think that's fucking stupid. There's a U in it, and if you have the opportunity to say Bwiet-endorp, why wouldn't you? That's a really good point. 
Um, yeah. Um, and they are, they are terrible, the, yeah. the, the twins. Oh, the worst. Yeah. One uh, star. One star, the worst. Uh, and so Project Runway, which I have now consumed a lot of, I feel like uh, this is a great lead into RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's like a good transition between Great British Baking Show and RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, yeah. Is Project Runway, because there's some drama and some, like, editorial fuckery with sound effects and shit like that. But, you know, it's not quite on the level of RuPaul yet, where they're, they are just using that rattlesnake sound effect as often <laughs> as possible, and I love it. Yeah, the rattlesnake, and also uh, the most recent season of uh, Project Runway, the editor is going fucking ham on these edits like star wild fucking blingy sparkles like sorry that's blingy with two e's which is there does blingy still exist i don't know what in the hell you are saying to me right now but i hope it does <laughs> that's a hope hell it's of a thing for you to say to me now yeah blingy which uh, is you know you put in a photo and it adds like a dancing snoop dog and a gold chain gif on, on it. I bet it does. And, uh, uh, I, and sparkles. I just, I just bet it does. Um, Ryan, what ghoul shit have you been up to? Uh, the ghoul shit that I've been up to in the last week. So I am almost done with Hell House by Richard Matheson. Um, by, I'm almost done. I mean, I've got like a third of it left. I, hmm, I kind of don't know how to feel about it. I wonder if I've just read too many haunted house stories, but this one feels like exactly one standard unit of haunted house story, where it's like, there's some ghosts there's some ghouls there's uh, a team of people wait you said that there's ghosts there's ghouls are there goblins no goblins uh, they don't we, they don't recognize goblins within hell house grounds okay all right uh king kong Loch Ness. are no no a zombie with no conscience absolutely not get out of leave this place immediately um honestly it like richard matheson obviously he's the guy who wrote like i am legend and uh, nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet like I kind of love how many stories revolve around a team that is specifically trying to do a science at the haunt, mm-hmm. where they're trying to, like, record things or prove the existence uh, of ghosts. I believe it's called Haintology. Right. The Haints. You know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to ha- have a, a, a confab with the Haints. My Tinder profile says, all Haints, no Taints. <laughs> Fuck me. <sighs> That's actually the subtitle, Hell House, all Haints, no Taints. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's it's fine. I think... So, I think the worst haunted house property I can think of off the top of my head is one of two things. It's either... Do you remember that uh, Rose Red miniseries? Oh, boy. In the early 2000s? That certainly did get made. It certainly did. Because um, I feel like this was just coming out of the 90s where it was, like, every other week, like, oh, boy, a, mini, a Stephen King miniseries. And it was... Yeah, it, it's terrible either that or have you i don't know why i'm asking you this 13 ghosts with uh matthew lillard oh my god i think i have seen 13 ghosts with matthew lillard holy shit where it's like the weird clockwork house and the walls are sliding around and shit listen i do love a clockwork house you do um can i tell you the best haunted house media i've ever consumed yeah this might seem obvious and i know that a lot of your listeners will feel like it doesn't even need to be said but Mm -hmm. die hard (laughs) <laughs> Die Hard is the best haunted house movie I've ever seen in my life. Is John McClane a haint? Yes. He is He is hainting Nakatomi Plaza. John McClane is a haint, and that guy who, the Hans Bubby guy, 
I'm sorry? You know, the guy who says Hans, Bubby, that guy? Hans Gruber? No, the fucking, the cocaine doofus who tries to negotiate <laughs> with Hans Gruber, and he comes in front oh, and he's like, Hans, Bubby. That, the guy who does the... That fucking guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so listen, John McClane is a haint, that guy is a taint. It's a, a new segment on Rankin Viles, Haint or Taint, and we, yeah, it's like Haints, Taints, or Saints. Nobody rides for free. Nobody rides for free here on, on, on Rankin Vile. Okay, so John McClane, mm-hmm. Haint, the guy who says Hans Bubby, Taint, and Holly, John McClane's estranged wife, mm-hmm. Saint. Truly a saint. She's a working woman. You know, she's trying to make it work. This is like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, just a saint, taint, or haint. Yeah. Yeah, no one writes for free. Um, so let's jump into the first movie we're doing for this, uh, which is... All right. So the first movie. Uh, on this episode, we're doing two movies, both of which are um, Scream ripoffs, where, like... So Scream happened in 96. Hell yeah, it did. everybody in Hollywood, there was golden them, their hills. And by hills, I mean... Um, snappy uh, dialogue with teens and posters with floating heads on them. Um, And so one of the movies that we got out of that was the movie Urban Legend from 1998. Um, You had never seen this before. I have not. And I was okay with it. I I had lived a whole life without ever having seen the movie Urban Legend, and it was fine. Yeah, and so the, uh, honestly, I would say that this is, like, toward the upper tier of Scream ripoffs, because I think, I honestly, on Rankin Wild, we need to do, like, a power, rate, uh, power rating of uh, Scream ripoffs, because I can think of at least a dozen off the top of my head, and they are all shit. Um, I'm going to counter, um, when you said that this is one of the better one of the Scream ripoffs, you only think that because Rebecca Gayhart, and that's fine, and that's sure. completely merited. But I do want that noted that if that role had been played by, say, Sarah Michelle Gellar, right, this would fall firmly in the taint category. So, so not a haint. No. Nor a saint. Mm-mm. It would be taint. So, all right. So we should give a we should give a breakdown of this plot, right? So the movie opens, and it's uh, a, a young lady with a pixie haircut in an SUV just bopping down the road listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. Singing along to it very badly for a very long time. Yeah, for an uncomfortably long amount of time, mm-hmm. I would say we're left with her sort of fucking up the lyrics. You know, and like, it's great, it's charming, we all fuck up lyrics, this is one of is my... Is it charming? It is, okay, it is super charming, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts of Into the Spider-Verse actually, uh, yeah. is where we see Miles Morales wearing headphones and listening to a song and doing that half-singing-along thing that you do when you kind of know the lyrics, but you don't really, but you're still into it. <laughs> and then you, yeah. 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 <laughs> also, by the way, I've been mainlining the soundtrack to Into the Spider-Verse for the last two weeks. It's my writing soundtrack. I love it. <laughs> and I love that song. It's called Sunflower. It's a great jam. Mm-hmm. I don't know... Almost any of the lyrics, except for, she want to ride me like a cruise. Is that how, so she wants to do it lazily and with a buffet. Surrounded by old people with a fondue fountain. Isn't that how everybody wants to fuck? Absolutely. Honestly. I, so really the rest of the podcast is just going to be the two of us going, like doing the, yeah. And so, uh, she gets to a gas, like, oh no, the gas is low. So she gets to a gas station. Oh, wait, 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 we cannot bypass this part. She passes by a gas station a that well is like lit. it's like the Swarovski butt plug of gas stations it's <laughs> just it is a bespoke truck stop yeah like this is where you're getting Conway Twitty records on tape when she passes that we see that she's at like a 
I'm going to say, like, a quarter tank of gas. Yeah. And then we watched the needle fall over the course of, like, one verse of this song mm-hmm. to below empty. Total eclipse of the tank. Total eclipse of the taint. I'm sorry. Ep- episode title. Outstanding. Okay. Uh, and so she comes to this, like, uh, bumblefuck hard scrabble gas station out uh, in the in the boonies. And it is staffed by, obviously, Brad Dourif. Of course. And God bless Brad Dourif. He just, he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's like Jack Black and Goosebumps knows exactly what movie he's in and delivers perfectly. Yep. And it's just... I. I'm such a mark for Brad Dourif, like, I, if he is in a movie, I will watch that movie. Like, it's, he, I feel like he might be one of the most underrated character actors of all time. I would like to point out for our listeners that whenever Ryan sees Brad Dourif in a movie, they quietly say, oh, hi, Brad Dourif. He's my dear friend, Brad Dourif, and he's come around again, and we're all delighted that he's here. And, and in Urban Legend, he plays a gas station, gas station attendant who, um, the narrative, I feel like you already know he's not dangerous. He's got long, scraggly hair, and also he's Brad DeRiff and has these really big, frightened eyes. And he is like, Pixie, Pixie Cut Lady is scared of him because he has a stutter. And the message that I feel like uh, is classically baked into these kind of things is, oh, this guy has a speech impediment. That means he's scary. And then the movie sort of punishes her for thinking that because she... He does the thing where he, like, looks in the backseat and gets spooked and, like, uh, calls her into the gas station and he's like, oh, your, your card, there's a problem. And, like, she gets in and he tries telling her, like, hey, there's a goofster in the backseat who's going to do a murder on you. And she freaks out. Mace is, Mace is Brad Dourif. Poor Brad Dourif. He does so much. Then hits him with her car. It's, yeah, he, like, tries going stop and, like, throws himself across the hood and she's just like, nope, fuck you, National American Treasure Brad Dourif. Here's the thing, like, I can understand when she pulls up to the gas station, he comes up to the car, he, like, raps on the window, he startles her, and she doesn't want to get out of the car. Hard same. Yeah. I never want to get out of my car, but especially, you know, if, like, someone startles me. But then he brings her very nicely into the gas station and closes the door behind him, and she immediately freaks out. And then he hurls himself across the roof or the hood of her car and yells, no, stop, don't go. And at that point, I feel like you gotta just be like, hey, just lean your head out the window. Mm-hmm. How come? And then he can be like, oh, there's a murderer who's gonna murder you. Right. There's um, an axe fella in the backseat of your car. Which, obviously, the fact that he has a stutter is meant to be the reason that he can't just say, I beg your pardon, young lady, while you may be singing along to Total Clips of the Heart, written by Jim Steinman, performed by Bonnie Tyler in 1981, you should be aware that there's a murderer in the backseat. I'm Brad Dourif. I mean, I feel like he could even just, like, point to the backseat. And she could look and see for herself mm-hmm. murder. Now, and this part actually rules. So she, uh, it, it's it's a joke about turn around bright eyes after she pulls away. Mm-hmm. And so it's turn around bright eyes while the 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 goofster is looming behind her with an axe and then on every now and then i fall apart an axe flies through the window you don't actually see and honestly this is a bummer for me all right so if we're going with opening scenes from movies terrible this one very bad very bad and if you're going to be ripping off scream which has i would say 
one of the most iconic opening scenes of a horror movie I can think of off the top of my head. First time I saw that, I was sweating everywhere. Yeah, my teeth were sweating. And then this one, like, you don't even see... I mean, like, okay, I like, I don't need, like, monster meat with, like, heads flying off. But at least a brief shot of a, of a sword... Or, uh, sword, excuse me. So a knight from Camelot is just, like, <laughs> get fucked and just, like, chops right off on the sword. Like, even just, like, a, 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 an axe flying through a neck a little bit or, like, a, a, a slapped meat noise. Here, I feel like this movie was unnecessarily responding to criticisms that slasher movies are too gory because we see very minimal gore and blood, and that might also just be a budget issue, but mm-hmm. it kind of was like, oh, I mean, this axe swings through the window Mm -hmm. and you see the axe blade crash through the window which means it did not crash through anybody's neck so at worst she got slapped in the throat with (laughs) like an axe handle which sucks don't get me wrong oh very bad very bad yeah and then the axe vanishes before our very eyes so i was kind of like oh ghosts that suburban has been abandoned for 30 years okay so um she's she dead yeah she real dead and it cuts to a college campus and, um, you know, a bunch of 35-year-olds are sitting around discussing their IRAs, <laughs> except that they are college students. I'm and they're a talking college about, student. They're talking about urban legends and this kind of conversation that, like, you know, no one who wrote this movie has actually talked to an adolescent person right. in their entire life. Yeah. Which I love. I actually, I eat that shit up, man. Me too. Yeah, when you've got, like, you know, when the hunky love interest in a leather jacket is, like, his hairline is receding. Yeah. And he's got lever spots. And it's yeah. like, fuck yeah, hunky 50-year-old. Sure. I mean, these, listen, these college students just need to do one more urban legend before they retire. <laughs> um, Calling it back for one last job. So, they're talking about urban legends. You've got a, a young Jared Leto? Yeah, he's a baby here. I can't help thinking that they really wanted Freddie Prince Jr. for this role. Right. And he was all tied up. Well, and this was, uh, I think, what, uh, the same year as I Know What You Did Last Summer? So he Mm -hmm. was busy being in that. He was busy doing that movie for some reason. Right. Um, Which, also, I love Freddie Prince Jr. Hell yeah! You know what? By all accounts, he is a very nice boy. Well, we'll get around. We'll get around to him. Yeah. On the next movie we do, by God. Um, and then you've also got this uh, red hair gal who it took us until the last five minutes of the movie to collectively remember this protagonist's name. <laughs> because it doesn't fucking matter. They really like the casting call. I feel like just said young Jillian Anderson, and they were really hoping that Jillian Anderson would get a time machine, go into it, but it would spit her back out at the exact same moment that she, you know, got into it, but she would be, like, 12 years younger. I mean, I think we're all hoping Jillian Anderson is going to show up. Generally, at, at to any time, any place. Yeah. Funerals, Jillian parties. Anderson, if you're listening, and you, you, you can just hit me in the face with an axe handle. Yeah, just and I'll you, be fine. you can make it happen. And um, well and and she's uh, what you said that she has a red hair. I thought you were going to say, uh, she was a red-haired and then I, my brain thought you were going to say she's a red herring, which if that were true she would be one of 12 red herrings in this movie. Uh, all of them I feel like are like like salmon colored <laughs> herrings cuz it's peach just, herrings. Just, yeah, they're peach herrings. It's so washed out. No none of it nothing matters. Nothing no. in this movie matters. Um Except Rebecca Gayhart yeah. and Robert 
England. England, who... Oh. Those two are in this movie, and that's those are the only things that we actually care about. Well, and so uh, Robert, Uncle Bob uh, England, um, is a college professor at this university, and he just could not... He's, he is yucking it up in this role as a college professor. Like, he looks like he's doing straight Freddy Krueger head whips and... and Sm- like snarls and smirks. Hell yeah. I feel like what happened is the director was like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And, you know, Robert England kind of came behind the camera and was like, yeah, what's up? The director's like, I want to talk to you about this character. And Robert England was like, yeah, no, I've really, I've got some good ideas. And then the director was like, no, 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 just, just, just do Freddy. And Robert's like, look, I, I'm, I'm trying to get away from that role. I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to He's do that so much. He's never tried to get away from that role in his life, and I love it. No, no, I feel like how that goes is like, I need you to do Freddy. And he's like, well, first of all, I refuse to, okay. And then he just immediately, <laughs> like, rips off his shirt, revealing a red and green striped sweater. He's, I, he's so delightful. Yeah. Um, he plays the professor of urban legend studies. He's an urban legendologist. At this school, and this class has, like, 500 students in it. Everybody go into the urban legends lecture. To be fair, like, I I would be there. Oh. I would be like, yes, yeah, please put me on the wait list. Mandor car hook hand. Let's... I'm in. Yeah. Well, and this movie, so we've got, what? We've got Robert Anglin, we've got Rebecca Gayhart, we've got... Who is stunning to behold. Oh, she is a vision. Like, yeah. the biggest eyes you've ever seen in your life. Um, we've got Michael Rosenbaum, who uh, people who watch Smallville have probably uh, thought about his dick, uh, and you're not alone in that, and that's wonderful. Uh, we've got fucking that Jared... That was upsetting to I, hear. I know, I'm so sorry. We've got Jared Leto. And then we've got uh, the guy that played Pacey on Dawson's Creek? Sure. Who is here and part of this? This might as well happen. Um, he plays the shitty elf-looking perv jackass, <laughs> which was for some reason a staple in... A lot of movies around this time period. Well, you see, he is one of the best pranksters at this university, which I feel like this movie and every... You just took a drink. Outstanding. This is the correct response to, like, anytime they're like, oh, he's the best He's the best practical joker on campus. Like, who are these maniacs? Like, if you go to school and there is a guy universally known as the guy who does that shit, he is not getting invited to parties. Also, I have, I have a related question, which is, if you have a college where there is a person who is known as the best prankster, mm-hmm. this is going to be a class of, like, 25 people. <laughs> Tops. First of all, mm-hmm. who is populating this Urban Legends 101 class? Second of all... Prank Williams Jr., apparently. Okay. Yeah. Well... Yeah. Let's just stop the podcast dead for that one. <laughs> no. um, second of all... This later on we meet the protagonist goth roommate who is on a like goth for goth website and she is like looking for goths on campus to hook up with. If you're in a small enough class at college that you have someone whose reputation is the prankster, then <laughs> your class is gonna be small enough that you're gonna know who the goths with good dick are already. Yeah, you've already scouted that spooky dick on yeah. campus. You know where to find it. You know where the haints and the taints are. You you've located the haints, the taints, and the saints. Yeah. Um which also, by the way, this goth roommate, uh, played by Danielle Harris, who uh, played uh, Michael Myers' niece in Halloween 4 and 5 and Laurie Strode's best friend in the Rob Zombie uh, reboots. Um, 
she is lovely as this as this like shitty goth roommate who is I would say the biggest dick in any movie. Oh man, I feel like she's point. completely reasonable. Yeah. I feel like everything she does is reasonable except for one thing, which mm-hmm. is that she is getting railed by some goth dude yeah. and her roommate walks in and they don't even stop. She's just like, "Turn off the light." I mean, Everything else she does is completely fucking reasonable. She's trying to get on the internet to look up some spooky taint, mm-hmm. and her roommate just picks up the phone like an asshole, interrupting her connection, and she gets upset. Bella Lugosi's dead, but her sex life ain't. Yeah. Um, I did find it jarring mm-hmm. that she was getting just... just Plowed. Thrammered. He, he, was, he was putting a nail into her coffin. Ay! Ay! And, you know, her roommate walks in and... She just keeps keeps it going. Oh, Buddy Boy's not slowing down. Not once, not ever. Anyway, we have digressed. We have. Slightly. Um, uh, so Robert Englund is running this class, and he's like, urban legends aren't real facts, you dumb pieces of shit. You stupid fucking hicks. It's... And all these college students are like, yeah, they are. And he's like, oh, really? And Rebecca Gayhart's doing a sass at him. Yeah, yeah, she's 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 doing a sass at him, and she's uh, he calls her up in front of the class, which like, wh- who are these asshole professors who are like, oh, I'm gonna make an example of you and like pull you up in front of your peers? And he's like, here, take these pop rocks and this diet coke. And she's like, well, no, oh, I'll die. Oh, excuse you, it is a an ice cold sweating. Pepsi. Oh, it is a blue ass, uh, noticeably perspiring, visible Pepsi logo. Was Pepsi trying to horn in on Coke's current corner of the urban legend market? Because the classic legend, mm. of course, is Pop Rocks and Coke will explode your tummy. Right. And Does Pepsi work? That's the question. Yeah. Maybe Pepsi was trying to be like, hey, just so you know, if you drink this with Pop Rocks, you won't die, unlike our competitor. Tab soda is just super fucking disappointing. <laughs> Actually, it won't explode your stomach. You'll just be kind of sad. Um, Pepsi, it won't explode your stomach, but it will explode your taste buds. Ay. Pay me one million dollars, Pepsi. Yeah. I came up with that. Trademark Saragali. Trademark Saragali 2019. So, okay. So, uh, he, Robert Anglin is the urban legendologist. And then you've got, oh, shit. I'm, I'm, I am a moron and a cad and a bounder. We have also Tara Reid in this fucking motion picture as a, like, uh... Horny radio personality on college radio. Uh, Two very important things in this film. Mm -hmm. College radio and college newspapers, which everyone listens to and reads and find important forever. Well, yeah, and Jared Leto, uh, who is... uh, His thing is that he's a journalism... Uh, and he's gonna expose the the real the real dirt here at College U. Listen, he has a fucking office. He. <laughs> oh my God, this shit. By the way. In the third act of the movie, he gets fired from the student paper, and he has to go clear out his desk. Clean out your lavishly appointed office. walnut office. No one who made this movie has ever been near a college. It's like a cathedral that there happen to be thirty-five-year-olds want pretending to be children in. That's the cult I want to join. Absolutely. Uh, adult baby cathedral. Oh. Mm. I don't like it. Oh, because then you're, it's just like a weird fetish thing. Listen, all respect to adult babies. You guys aren't hurting anybody. You do you. Mm-hmm. Go crazy. Do it in a cathedral if you need to. Um, <laughs> all right, so, yeah, so we've got Tara Reid, sexy radio personality. Right, and she's dating Michael Rosenbaum, who is uh, also quite, quite the prankster. God, they wished they could have got Matthew Lillard. Like, he's, he's fine. Like, he's, he's trying his best. And uh, so 
So whatever. So uh, red-haired protagonist whose name is a name. Because you've got like this big splashy like, uh, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights thing? Right, which is that one of my favorite urban legends of a girl who comes home and her roommate is sleeping and so she doesn't turn on the light because she doesn't want to wake her up. And then in the morning she wakes up and her roommate is dead and in her blood on the wall is written, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Yeah, her, um, her roommate is the fuckingest goth this uh, side of the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I really, I love this because it's updated from I didn't want to wake my roommate up to uh, I didn't want to look at my roommate fucking. <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want to watch my roommate once again getting plowed by uh, buff goths. Yeah, I also, I enjoyed, although I don't personally really care for, like, super graphic strangling scenes in horror, yeah. I did enjoy that this scene highlighted the fact that sex noises sound a lot like I'm getting murdered noises. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she's laying there and she can hear her roommate getting murdered, but she thinks that she's just getting that good, good goth dick. Mm -hmm. We also, I don't want to overlook the way that the murderer reveals themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, to be preparing to do a murder, which is that the goth roommate oh, yeah. is on the goth for goth website and uh, is, you know, in that music video where it's like, she's like using Excel on her phone. Oh, to Kelly Rowland. Yeah, Kelly yeah. Rowland yeah, yeah. is texting her boyfriend like, where are you on, in, in Excel? Mm -hmm. It's a lot like that. It's a chat room that basically is just her typing into Microsoft Word. <laughs> And she's like, hey, do you want to fuck? And he's like, yeah. You ever no open notepad to try to solicit some spooky dick? God, every day. Every day of my life. I think we've all been there. It's like automatic writing, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, <If> you... horny. <laughs> it's like the secret. Like, these are just the laws of attraction. If you talk to yourself enough in notepad, goth dick will come flocking to you on the wings of a bat. That's the dream. That's the dream. So she's like, I want that goth dick, and... He's like, great. And she's like, all right, I'm going to get ready. Tell me what room you're in. And then she goes to go and, like, powder her vagina. Right. And when she comes back to the computer, it says, your room, in, like, all caps. Oh, no. And she's like, what? Oh, no. And then she's getting murdered. Um, and the university does this, like, corrupt university thing where they're clearly trying to, like, I feel like this movie doesn't super commit to this element of the plot where there's a murder that happened ages ago uh, that Robert Englund... Oh, the massacre. The massacre, yeah. That Wexler, who is... Sure. Robert Englund's name is Dr. Wexler. Um, that he was the survivor of, and, like, they tried um, burying it to try to keep enrollment from suffering. And so the head of this university, who is vaguely British? Fine. He's a fancy lad. Listen, he's a he's the dean, so he's a British piece of shit. Dean, dean Bitterman. And, he and he's like, oh, nothing happens at this university. Don't worry about it. It's the weekend. No one's dead. They're just... <laughs> no one dies on the weekend. You die Monday through Friday or you don't die at all. It's Exactly. It's time to party hard, dudes. And then he gets like inflatable uh, pool floats that just sort of pop out of nowhere and turn down for what place. Um, now, the principal gets the best death in the... Or the, maybe the second best death in the movie, I think, which is that... Um, so he's going out to his car. And, all right, so there's a cop in this movie who is a secondary Okay, is hero? she a cop? We don't know if she's a cop or if she's, like, a campus security guard mm -hmm. or what. Her character trait is that she wants to be a shoot cop. 
Well, she wants to be Pam Greer, specifically, yeah. from, like, a black exploitation movie. Because who doesn't? I mean, of course, who doesn't? But also, she's, like, the one black character in this movie, and it's, like, the screenwriters are like, hmm, what do we know of, of a black person in a horror movie? Probably black exploitation movies. That's their thing, is that they watch Pam Greer movies. Um, and her thing, we were trying to figure out through throughout the movie, is she a cop or a security guard or a rent-a-cop or... She... What she is is she's a a lady and she has a uniform right. and she has a gun and she has nothing else. <laughs> That's it. That's so wait, does she actually have a job or is she just like somebody that shows up that everybody's she's like volunteer. She's a gun volunteer. I don't know. So the dean is British for some stupid reason mm-hmm. and he is like, "Hey, it's the weekend." And no one gets murdered, and everything is fine. He tells our, our, our protagonist, Natalie, that uh, her roommate did not get murdered, but instead committed suicide and also wrote on the wall in her own blood. A, a morbid time. suicide note, he calls it. Sure. Sure. And then he is going away, I'm assuming, to party? Probably the party. And so he goes back to his car. And what's important here is that uh, the killer in this movie, Ghost, rides the whip with the principal's car where he like so the prince uh, the the killer is hiding under his car and you think it's going to be the you know he checks the back seat of the car going oh, oh oh me looking for urban legends and then it's the wrong urban legend and he gets his um achilles tendon cut which always waked me out as a kid my mom was big into passing around these like slightly racist urban legends about gang initiations mm-hmm. slightly racist no very racist very racist and one of them was like oh they'll hide under your car and cut your achilles tendon and i to this day like you know, I hate standing next to the edge of the bed, mm-hmm. and I feel the same feeling when I stand next to the car, because it's like, oh, I sure hope no one cuts my Achilles tendon. <laughs> oh, that would suck so bad. So, she cuts, she or he, the murderer. Oh, 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 he or he. Cuts the Dean's Achilles tendons, which is apparently super easy, and you can just do it with a pocket knife. Cause it's like candy floss, yeah. It's fine. And then... uh runs him over with his own car right puts it in neutral and just like walks along beside it i really all i could picture was the killer in their fur-lined eskimo ass coat like millie rocking next to the car as it slowly advances upon the principal oh yeah we got to talk about this uh murderer outfit it's a like it's a it's a fur-lined parka very generic uh which we know because everyone in the movie has one right and yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, the uniform for living in this town, I think, is you have to have this coat to establish that it could be you. Mm-hmm. And like a like a ski mask underneath. Yeah, is that what it is? Like a backwards ski mask that's, that obscures the face? All ski masks obscure the face. Well, yeah, but like it obscures all of the features where it's just like, oh, it's just totally black. Like there's no... Every ski, every ski mask does that. Well, yeah, but you've got like openings for eyes and a nose and a mouth. Yeah, you can see the killer's... Eyes. No. Yeah. Because otherwise, how would they see to murder you? Well, that's what I was thinking. But it looks to me, it looks totally opaque. Like, this is a a fully... Maybe the killer face. is doing that Batman thing. You know how Batman, like, when he puts his mask on, he also completely puts black all around his eyes? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you look at, like, Val Kilmer in the Batman mask, you can see the skin of his eyes, but it's all covered in, like, fucking soot. <laughs> 
to make sure that he looks like the Batman. Right. Maybe the killer is doing that every time and they just carry a lot of makeup wipes. So that he doesn't just look like some fucking schmo wearing the Batman costume. Mm -hmm. What if he forgot to put that on at one point and the villains were just like, you're not, come on, you're not, you're not bad. Let's, you're not let's, really trying. You're not really. It's not a lot of effort here. I feel like poor Alfred mm -hmm. is probably in charge of that. Alfred is a makeup artist. That's his second calling? <gasps> Alfred competing on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, <gasps> shit. As a drag queen? Yes. Shit. I feel Absolute like winner. he would actually end up being the cattiest bitch on that show, yeah. I think. Yeah, he would be a, a club queen. All right. Which of the Batman villains would be the cattiest member of RuPaul's Drag Race? Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. No question. Yeah, no, just it's, yeah, it's Mr. No, Freeze. No further questions. No, uh, no. This is settled. We will not All be right. taking any other questions at this time. We've also got the death of Pacey. Right, from Dawson's the, Creek. The prankster who uh, gets our protagonist into his car on the premise of some bullshit. Yeah. And then, like, parks with her in the woods and is like, hey, you know what you need is some sexual healing. Right. From Pacey's turgid cock. <laughs> As and, he is constantly calling it, Pacey's turgid cock. Yeah. And she's like... No, thanks. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a sex at each other. And she punches him in the face because he's like, tr he's still trying to, like, push it. Which was great. Honestly, it was yeah. so satisfying. Wish that character would have had any more traits it's like the one, the film, It's like the one moment of personality from her is just punching Pacey right mm -hmm. in the mush. And then he's like, but then he's like still trying. And he's like, oh, man, you know what would really help my punched face is some, some fucking some bone towns um, and, and she's like i will punch you again and he's like okay never mind i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go piss yeah you know when you get punched and you gotta piss about it you gotta piss about it and so he leaps out of the car and, and heads off into the woods and we long story short we get a, a version of the uh oh no his feet are dragging on the top of the car listen this is the uh this is the extended edition of the hook hand murderer uh myth mm-hmm Wherein oh, there's... Oh, Mandor car hook hand? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Wherein there is a noise on the top of the car, and the girl inside is like, what's that noise? And then she gets out to look, and it's her boyfriend's feet scraping against the top of the car as he was hung above it, or it's his blood dripping onto the car. Right, like a plink, plink, plink. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Pacey is dead, and then the rent-a-cop is like, you didn't see anyone get murdered. You were drinking this single beer can that I found on the ground. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. No one believes this girl that the guy she was with got murdered and the murderer also tried to murder her. Right. Um, and... In crime in this town, anybody's like, hey, I saw a kid trying to shoplift. And they're like, mm, did he really, though? Was there ever even really a kid? And then Rebecca Gayhart is like, hey, you know what? You really seem bummed out. You should come and do a party with me. Right. And so now at this party, uh, Jared Leto, who is, I would say, somewhere between 12 years old and 59 mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in the role as a journalism. And he um, ends up uh, m uh, making out with Natalie, the main character, who I need to remind you is her name is Natalie, um, so that I remember. And Rebecca Gayhart, who was also wanting to maybe make time with Jared Leto, walks in on them kissing after having previously expressed to the protagonist that she would indeed like to do a kiss on Jared Leto. Um, and she gets upset and then goes and uh, sits down outside to cry 
to, and I cannot stress this enough, Zoot Suit Riot by mm-hmm. Cherry Pop and Daddies. Really beautiful. As was the house style in 1998. Um, so you get, like, a, a good solid, like, five seconds of her crying to Zoot Suit Riot, which is, um, honestly, the largest mood I can think of. Um, also at this party, uh, Tara Reed's shitty boyfriend has a dog, and he likes the dog, uh, and shows this by making it chug alcohol, which don't do that to a dog. That's, that's, that's how you show your dog that you like your dog? Yeah, and then the murderer uh, microwaves the dog, which is, you know, this is the urban legend about the old lady who tries to dry off her dog by putting it in the microwave. Fine, uh, really a bummer about the dog. And then Tara Reed's shitty boyfriend goes into the bathroom to Ralph because he just found his exploded dog in the microwave. Sure. And the killer, like, puts the beer bong in his mouth and makes him chug Drano, but also Pop Rocks? So, like, they're trying to be consistent with urban legends, I guess, Mm -hmm. where they're, like, Pop Rocks are a part of this. And then right after that kill, or not right after that kill, but, like, very close to it, uh, the killer seemingly totally abandons needing to do an urban legend at people to kill them because they decide to kill Tara Reed for purposes? You know, cuz. Now, the killer doesn't, like, when you find out the killer's motive for doing any of this, it doesn't make any sense that they're just, like, killing all of these people for no apparent reason. Yeah, listen, nothing matters in this movie. Nothing matters. Uh, And so they kill Tara Reed uh, with an axe just after chasing them. Tara Reed is actually incredible in this scene. I thought it was marvelous. Um, She does a really great I'm running and screaming and getting murdered. Um, Is Tara Reid an underrated actor? Yes. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, And I actually disagree with you that this isn't an urban legend. This is obviously the classic urban legend of bad man come and get you with an axe. (laughs) That classic Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, I think, did a version of a a bad man, he come to kill you with an axe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Our protagonist witnesses all of this and is like, oh no. The killer does a saucy hand wave with the, yeah. little, like, the little plinky fingers, like, hello, and it's delightful, mm-hmm. which then leads into, uh, we should, uh, let's, let's, let's hurry up and rank this movie. <laughs> it gets to the end, right? And it turns out to be Rebecca Gayhart. Shocking. Uh, the person in the movie with crazy eyes is the killer. Right, which I feel like in a lot of 90s horror movies was also kind of the house style. Um, Rebecca Gayhart is fucking great as the murderer. Honestly, she does this like, why did I do the murders? I'm crazy, that's why. She does, and it's also, I think the idea is like, oh, you, you, I'm doing all of this to you, Natalie, the protagonist, because you are responsible, kind of, for killing my boyfriend in a, in a drug-related... Uh, or not a drug related, like a like a, a, a gang related prank that your friend who was killed at the beginning of the thing did. I mean, it's not gang related. It's you know the urban legend that like if someone is driving towards you with their headlights off, um, they might be gang members who are waiting to see who flashes their high beams in right. that signal to turn your headlights on, mm-hmm. and the first person who does it, they'll flip a bitch and follow them and kill them. Right. And so I guess uh, Natalie and 
her friend, who turns out to have been the pixie cut girl from the beginning of the movie, decided to pull a prank as a goof and wound up, you know, doing this and running a dude off the road, and he died. When goofing goes wrong. Yeah. And it was Rebecca Gayhart's boyf, and, you know, your high school boyfriend is the only person you'll ever love, so Rebecca Gayhart is like, "Mm, I will follow you to college. And I will I will go through the enrollment process. And I'll murder first all of your friends and then you. Not even friends, like tangentially related people who are also here. I will murder to fuck with you. And what's also amazing about it, so Rebecca Gayhart, who lures uh, Natalie up into a, a, a an abandoned spook house uh, to, to kill them, they knock them out and then they're like, lucky for you, I brought a visual aid. And Motherfucker has a slideshow. Thank you for watching my PowerPoint. On deck, she has a PowerPoint. Like, she's ready to, like, this is my boyfriend. He was my boyfriend. And that's, this is, she lays out very reasonably for Natalie why she is going to kill her. And so Rebecca Gayhart, who, by the way, in this role as the killer, goes for it. Absolutely magnificent. It's so good. Like, she, and I, I feel like, uh... She, so with a lot of killers, I think the worst one that I've seen was in Ruby Falls, you, or excuse me, Cherry Falls. You've got Jay Moore as the killer doing the monologue, and it's very bad. But, like, Rebecca Gayhart, you can tell that she, like, really thought about everything she was doing in this villain monologue, about why she's doing what she's doing. And, I don't know, I salute her professionalism, I guess. <laughs> no, it was fabulous. It was a, a really wonderful cap to this deeply meaningless film. Deeply meaningless. And I think also this is a great illustration of how much heavy lifting Nev Campbell did, I think, in Scream. Mm-hmm. Like, she... Because you look at all these other movies and it's like, okay, Jennifer Love Hewitt in I Know What You Did Last Summer and whoever plays Natalie in Urban Legend and all these other actors that they sort of got on to try to affect the sort of, like, ingenue. Yeah, it's this feeling of, like, the scrappy ingenue that... Nev Campbell delivers beautifully, and a big part of that, I think, is the fact that in Scream, um, the killer is a person. In Urban Legend, the killer is some kind of superhero who can, like, swing an axe from the backseat of a car and, like, hoist a guy up into a tree in one second. And it's Mm -hmm. just, like... There's no grounding for this character, so when the reveal is that it's Rebecca Gayhart, it's like, sure, is the fur might lined, as well be. Is the fur-lined coat a mech suit? Yes. That Rebecca Gayhart has access to and grants her super strength. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. She's hoofing it around town. She's hefting dudes left and right. None of the none of the murder victims in Urban Legends seem to want to live, which is legit, because if I was in the movie Urban Legends, you would. I would... Also, be like, yeah, just kill me. Yeah, just sprinting toward the grave. Yeah, it's fine. Lindy hop into the grave. Okay, so you said let's hurry up and rank this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's hurry up and rank <clears throat> this thing. All right, all right. It's so, a disaster. Nothing in it means anything. Now, it's a disaster, but I would say a delightful disaster. Delightful is a strong word. We found those baby squirrels pretty shortly after we watched this movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh thinking that I was going to get in the way of a lady taking a photo of dog shit was kind of a relief <laughs> for me. It was a nice contrast to the experience you just had. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's my question. Is uh, Urban Legend better or worse than the Steven Universe episode Keep Beach City Weird? Worse. Much worse. Easy, squeezy. The Steven Universe, which you are going to be doing uh, 
an issue of. Yes, I have a Steven Universe comic coming out not too long after this podcast goes live. Fuck yeah. In the uh, Fusion Frenzy collection, I am writing about uh, the fusion between Garnet and Amethyst, named mm-hmm. Sugalite. And, Sugalite, um, who was voiced by Nicki Minaj. Hell uh, yeah, it in is. In that first episode. So I'm pretty pumped about it. It's, it's extremely good. Um, so obviously much worse than that. We're uh, scrolling a little more. Okay, I'm trying to see which of these might be... Worse than Bob's Burgers, Season 9, Episode 4, Nightmare on Ocean Avenue Street. Yeah, so worse than that? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, let me keep scrolling to see which of these you might have seen. Oh, Vampire in Brooklyn. I watched with you, I think. This movie is better than Vampire in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say not by much. I would put it... I think it's worse than The Fog. So this Wes Craven movie ripoff is worse than an actual Wes Craven movie, Vampire in Brooklyn. I would say it's... So you're saying it's not as good as The Fog? Not as good as The Fog, a little bit better than Vampire in Brooklyn. That's fair. That's fair. I can actually... I'm not a huge fan of The Fog, and even I can admit, like, The Fog actually did kind of a thing, maybe once or twice, in a way that Urban Legend did not. So coming in uh, at our new number 236, uh, above The Sect, but below The Fog, is 1998's Urban Legend. Um, and really, I, I, we're shitting on this movie a lot. I'm really fond of this movie as an example of movies that are less than the sum of their parts, like The Faculty, where you sort of, you have Elijah Wood, and Usher is there for some reason, you've got Robert Patrick, the T-1000 is the villain, um, and I feel like in the late 90s, people kind of didn't understand what made the movie Scream work so well, and why it ignited the imagination of a whole generation of people going to the movies. Um, which then brings us to the second movie we're doing for today, which is uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which was also written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream. Poor fucking Kevin Williamson just wanted to live his life, mm-hmm. and then he had to be involved in this shit. I am... All right. I'm furious about I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> because it's it has so many opportunities to be a good movie. And in, it has so many opportunities to be about class and about the way that the friends you make in high school don't last forever. Mm-hmm. And instead, it just sucks a huge flapjack stack of buttholes. <laughs> So explain, so what, alright, so this is a pretty classic Fear Street uh, plot. Yeah, it is about uh, some teens who are about to go away to college, and they got big dreams and big plans, Mm -hmm. and they go to all be on the beach, and they fuck, because you do. Right. And... Then they're all going to drive home from the beach where they fucked, and one of them, the one who has the car, is drunk and gets behind the wheel, and they're all arguing uh, as he's driving, and because they're arguing, he hits a guy. Right. And the guy, they hit, and he's by the side of the road, and they're like, oh, shit, he's dead. we got to hide the body. They take it and dump it in some water, and then... They all go off to college, and all of them have emotions. And the next summer, (laughs) they come back, and a guy wearing a rain slicker who carries a big meat hook Mm -hmm. uh, comes to do murders on them. 
He comes to do a murder at them, and also, you can tell that at this point, after the Scream costume, everybody is scrambling to create an iconic slasher look. Like, Urban Legend, you've got Fur Coat Guy, and in... I know what you did last summer, you've got Rain Slicker Dude. Yeah, it's really... It's, it's deeply depressing. Um, on the one hand, it's this great thing where, like, they know that the murderer wears a rain slicker, but they live in a fishing town. So everybody mm-hmm. wears a rain slicker. But right. it's also deeply fucking stupid because every time they see a guy in a rain slicker, they're like, oh no, you're the murderer. <laughs> Even though they grew up in this fishing town where they've seen this rain slicker on every single person a zillion times. The dogs all have little rain slickers. Oh, hell yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Honestly, th- it's sort of like the uh, the B-team Cenobites from Hellraiser 3 where it's like, all right, so instead of Ghostface, we've got Fur Coat Guy, we've got Rain Slicker, Whoever we've got... Whoever should see these out of his chest, that's the only one I care about. Yeah, honestly. And so uh, it's kind of like Scream in that you're sort of like, Maybe it was Ryan Phillippe or Freddie Prinze Jr. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so our cast is pretty great. We've got Ryan <laughs> yeah, Phillippe, we've got Freddie Prinze Jr., we've got Sarah Michelle Gellar, and we've got the other one. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Why not? Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt is the 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 Nev Campbell mm-hmm. of this movie. Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar is a beauty queen um, with a complicated relationship with her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Phillippe is... A wealthy piece of shit. God, I love him so much. He's and honestly, I I choose to believe that he, this is the same character he plays in Cruel Intentions. Absolutely, just um, a rich piece of shit. And then Freddie Prince Jr. is the one of them who didn't grow up with money, mm-hmm. who is in this friend group, and he is not rich like everybody else. And it feels like there's this script that was written mm-hmm. where he's the murderer because of class issues. And he's like, you all are super rich and always give me shit about how I wasn't, and so I want you to die. Right. Which and is then, also legit. Uh, they took that script, and they were like, interesting, 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 interesting. And they pulled out the last third of it and fed it to the dog, and then <laughs> wrote a new one in the last five minutes before the premiere. Yeah, and this was obviously, like, hot off the success of Scream, so they're like, Kevin Williamson, they're, they're all doing, like, massive lines of coke off the desk, what else you got? And he's like... Mandor car hook hand and they're like sold sure one thing i do love about this movie is that it's a hook hand killer who doesn't have a hook for a hand yeah uh i just wrote about this for my newsletter yeah which you should subscribe to um about the hook hand killer myth which is like super ableist and destructive in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and which makes frankly a lot more sense if you have someone who just uses like a meat hook to kill someone because you can hold a meat hook and the killer and i know what you did last summer does just that and the meat hook is scary like at one point he he guts a person and then picks them up using the meat hook yeah and he's just like he's like walking while carrying them with one arm and they're just like flopping around so good that love that that visual rules like I can't totally write off I Know What You Did Last Summer. Like, this is, for me, a total hangover movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I have watched this movie, like, not an embarrassing number of times. Like, it's not, like, my favorite movie, but I've seen it, like, a bunch of times. You've watched it just enough times, I think. I think so. <clears throat> um, the thing that bugs me about this movie is that it, for the first two-thirds, it really is a Fear Street novel. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, like... It's contained, it's a little goofy, the plot isn't precisely coherent, but it's like, when you have a really drunk friend, and they're talking to you, and mm-hmm. they're making really good points, as long as you don't listen too closely. Uh-huh. Um, 
You can just say me when I'm drunk. You know. Yeah. Um, it's like that for the first two thirds, and then in the last third, spoiler alert, it's like, oh, actually, the murderer is none of you. Some unrelated fucking rando jamoke. He's he's no one who was in the cast. He's the guy who they thought they killed. Um, <clears throat> turns yeah. out they didn't, and he's like, oh, next time you kill someone, you better make sure they stay dead. And they're like, oh, no, it's you. Oh, no. But there's the whole movie, you know, he doesn't have a personality. He's not yeah. a part of the film. They're kind of like, oh, I bet this is related to the person who he killed because they get all these clues that that's the case. But I just don't buy it on any fucking level. No. I just don't. Also, if a bunch of teenagers thought they'd murder you, and then they dump you in some water, and so you half drown, mm -hmm. what if you just get up out of the water and go to the fucking hospital <laughs> where the doctors are definitely going to call the cops, and then you're like, oh, these teenagers trying to kill me like they're gonna go to jail i the motivation isn't there the character development isn't there mm -hmm. the, it's, it's not about anything the murder scenes are only so so there's one great scene where sarah michelle geller who is this beauty queen who's obsessed with her hair wakes up and uh she gets up off her pillow and all her hair stays on her pillow because it's been cut off mm -hmm. um and that's okay it's spooky right but some co some cool visuals at least there's also a super kevin williamson moment where uh, someone is being chased through some back alleys. I think it's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm -hmm. And there's a parade going on because life is suffering. Right. And <laughs> she gets killed in an alley just off the parade, and she's screaming for help, and no one can hear her because of the parade noise. I feel like that is so Kevin Williamson. I love it so much. Beauty queens, right? And it's like, yeah, you're suffering, and there's like a parade right nearby, and nobody yeah. can see it. No one can hear you. Well, Other than those scenes, I'm kind of like, man, this movie let me down. Well, it, I, I think I, I know the exact way that it let me down in, which is, so the primary romance of the movie, which, by the way, I feel like a primary romance in a slasher movie, you have to really work for that. I don't want to see a romance in a horror movie, frankly. No, get out of here. Um, and that, that's not why we're watching this. And it... Um, Unless it's unless it's The Fly and Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum and I'm, I'm here for it. I feel like for the most part, romances and horror movies are just there so that they can justify people fucking. Because yeah. if someone fucks in horror, it reminds the audience that they have bodies that can be hurt. Yeah. And so you want fucking in horror. Like, like even if you separate out the shitty morality aspect, I think having sexuality and horror close together mm -hmm. is really great for making it a visceral experience for the audience. But I feel like people put romance in horror movies because they're like, oh, we've got to make an excuse for the fucking. And it's like, no, just let people fuck, man. Yeah. For instance, The Thing. Yeah. You know everyone at that ice base. Was, they were all fucking each other that oh. whole time. Oh, honestly, Childs and McCready at the end, like mm. when they're both sharing a drink. This is a mm. drink they've shared before, I think. Post-coital. Post-coital. I just, I, the alien and The Thing did not have to go so hard, it would have been transmitted <laughs> sexually within a day yeah, of getting give, there. You, you don't got to explode some dogs in the kennel. You can yeah. just, yeah. Well, and so the main, the, the primary romance of this, which is between Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt, my problem with this, so they've, they're, they're together at the beginning of the thing, and then they accidentally uh, kill, they, they think they have killed a guy. And this traumatizes them, and they it changes them as people, and they can't be around each other or talk because it reminds them of that time that they killed someone. They go through more trauma together as more people die. And then, honestly, what would have salvaged it for me is if at the end of all of this, 
you know, the killer guy gets vanquished, we think, and he disappears, and we never find a body, but he's gone, basically. If you had Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. going, no, we can't be together, we've been through too much and seen too much together, and now I'm just going to associate you with all of my friends getting killed with a fish hook, this isn't going to work. That would have been fine, but they they pop into a sort of, like, teeny bopper romance immediately after this, where she goes off to college, and they're... He, she's his main squeeze, and everything is fine. They're they're doing sex, and her hair is nice again because it was nice at the beginning of the movie, and oh, then sure. you know through the body of the movie, it's kind of bad, and mm-hmm. then at the end, it's nice. Gets kind of mousy. Yeah. It's. I mean, wasn't she doing? She was like the Garnier Fructis girl or something. Yeah, something like that. And For a while, and, so and once again, Nev fine. Campbell is a saint. Like oh, you realize, bless, bless you, her heart. You realize how much of the Scream franchise, I would say, like the entire series. Uh, was built on the back of Nev Campbell being really, really good as Sidney Prescott. Um, so they're like they go back to this romance at the end of the movie because they survive a murderer trying to murder them on his boat with a hook. and they, with a hook, and then they get off the boat and the murderer gets knocked off the boat and his hand gets ripped off. Sure. sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> this is fine. And then they're like, oh, that's all behind us now. And then Freddie Prince Jr. is like, hey, babe. <laughs> as, as is his way. I'll Freddie keep Prince you Jr. safe forever. That's not the line. But, like, you know, sure. that's the vibe. It's made, yeah. And Nev, or not Nev Campbell, uh, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. He's like, hey, babe, I'll keep you safe forever. And Jennifer Love Hewitt is like, yeah, great. We're in a relationship now. And all my trauma is cured because it turns out we didn't kill that guy after all. Never mind the fact that it's so traumatic to think you killed someone, make the decision to hide their body, mm-hmm. and then have them kill lots of your friends and also try to kill you. Right. And then you kill him again, you think. Yeah, fuck that. No, it's fine. As long as the original guilt of the murder mm-hmm. is absolved, mm-hmm. everything is fixed, and you can be together, and it's all okay. Right. And then she goes back to college. She has nice hair. She's getting ready to get in the shower. Right. She turns the shower on. There's a lot of steam. And then she goes out and she gets, like, an invitation to, like, a party. And you see the envelope and you're like, oh, no, is it going to be a spookster giving her... uh, Is it going to be them cyberbullying her? (laughs) Cyberbullying her IRL? Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's not. It's an invitation to a party. And she's like, oh, silly me. And she walks back into the shower room and there is a mirror that's all steamed up that has... Uh, I still know. I still know written on it with someone's finger. And then the mirror explodes. Roll credits. Yeah. And it's, you know, honestly, as a goofy horror ending, I kind of love that ending. If this movie had known the whole time that it was a goofy horror movie, I would have been in favor of it. Yeah. Like, like honestly, I still know and then jump scare to close us out. Like, all right, folks, thanks for coming out to the movie with the guy with the hook for a hand. Uh, drive safe. Um, be sure to validate your parking on the way. Like, that would have been fine, but I feel yeah. like, yeah, it either be a... It's kind of like why I hate My Bloody Valentine, which is about, like, the ghost of a minor killing... Like, minor with an E, like, killing people. Uh, and it's like, when, when there's a horror movie that could be about a thing, but then you bypass all of that and make it about nothing, very sad. Very sad. Um, sad and bad. This whole movie, I mean, it had so much setup to be about class. It had some really good, like, rural spooksterness going on mm-hmm. with uh, the, the guy who they thought that they killed had a sister and she lives out in the country and she is, you know, kind of 
wide-eyed and spooksome. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot to say about class, and this movie just completely shat on every moment of potential that it had. Because they were anxious to follow up on the success of Scream. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, 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 it is a sadness. So on the list... All right, so is this better or worse than Interview with the Vampire from 1994? It is worse, and I am including the closing song from Interview with the Vampire, which still <laughs> makes me angry. Which is, of course, the Guns N' Roses cover of Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really think that this movie is hmm. okay, well, 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 disappointing, uh-huh. which is worse than bad to me. So let's go with Urban Legend then. Is this better or worse than the movie we just did, Urban Legend? Ooh, I think it is worse than Urban Legend because Urban Shit. Legend at least has Rebecca Gayhart. That is a controversial take because I would say a lot of people would consider I Know What You Did Last Summer to be at least like the sort of the most worthy pretender to the throne with Scream ripoffs. Oh, gosh. Because at least you got that Kevin Williamson script, but I think that's actually oh, a fair point. The cinematography is better in I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. and it's got Sarah Michelle Gellar, who, I mean, she's she's excellent. We, we all love Sarah Michelle In the Gellar. Beauty Queen role, she really sells it. So I, yeah. I will revise that. I will say it's better than Urban Legend. All right, are you sure? Yes. Okay. So, I'm all right, my question is, is this, all right, Wait, where was the... Yeah, so the Friday the 13th reboot, which is also sexy teens being lamed to bloody waste, um, I would say that it is n- better than the Friday the 13th reboot, which I am I really like. And I'm not even a big fan of the original Friday the 13th, but... I also think that it's better than the Keep Beach City Weird episode of Steven Universe, which is number 193 mm-hmm. on the list. Nice. Oh, here we go. Venom. Is it better than Venom? No. <laughs> I'm furious that you guys have Venom so low on the list. I would like to file my complaint right now. I Venom understand. is an excellent movie. Mm-hmm. Structurally, in terms of character, in terms of plot, in terms of cinematography and direction and effects, I, it's wonderful. And yep. you are fucking fools for putting it as low as you have on the list. I, you know. You are, you are fools. That's fair. I, it's you and uh, I think Christina can file complaints because she is frequently distraught at how far down the list we keep putting American Psycho, even though we both love that movie very much. The thing is, uh, Venom is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And is it a great movie? Yes, it is a fucking great movie. It is, it is one of the most enjoyable movies I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and it has some great character shit. It's one of the best representations of actual Bay Area culture right. I've ever seen on film. We're not doing a podcast about Venom right now, but we are Sorry going to that, come to fucking blows about it <laughs> that is, very shortly. That is fair. So wait, so you're saying it is not better than Venom? I said it. it is not better than Venom. Yeah. No. So going, But also, I'm mad at you about where Venom is on the list, I so I don't know that it should be ranked below Venom. I understand. Here's My, my thing is, I would say that this is, <clears throat> I know what you did last summer, is better than The Devil's Rejects, which is considered one of Rob Zombie's best movies, but on this here podcast, we don't care for that movie one bit, I tell you what. Uh, so I'm good with putting that above that, and even above Bloodbeat, but maybe a little bit below Dark City, which is like a neo-noir uh, take on horror, which is like, it's fine, you know? But it's better than like unfulfilled potential, which is what you get from a Kevin Williamson script. Yep. I'm here for it. Yeah, so I feel pretty good about it. So yeah, so coming in at our new number 175, 
Uh, above Blood Beat but below Dark City is I Know What You Did Last Summer from 1998. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Find me on the internet on Twitter. My handle is at Gailyfrey. That's G-A-I-L-E-Y-F-R-E-Y. You can also find me on Instagram, which I'm slowly learning how to use, and Tumblr under that same handle. Um, also, I needs must plug my book, Magic for Liars. Please plug your book. Magic for Liars comes out in June of this year from Tor Books. It is a book about uh, if Petunia Dursley and Jessica Jones got stuck in the machine from the fly. <laughs> Holy shit. That's... I think that's the best elevator pitch you could possibly have for this thing. Um, we... So, uh, Rank and Vile, you can find us on Twitter uh, permanently and abidingly shitposting at Rank and Vile Cast, uh, on Instagram at Just Rank and Vile, and on Tumblr at Just Rank and Vile. We didn't get to any requests on this episode, but if you have a horror movie that you want us to rank and talk about on the podcast, you're going to want to send that request to either our email address, which is rankandvilecast at gmail.com, or put it in our ask box on Tumblr uh, at just rankandvile. Um, we are on Letterboxd. We're on YouTube with <clears throat> a couple of playlists. We are on Stitcher, uh, Last.fm, a whole bunch of things. Sorry, my voice is falling apart. One moment. <clears throat> um, guys, if you have a minute, you're going to want to uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes because it helps uh, put us up the rankings a little bit, and then more people can hear us uh, shit on a uh, well-loved 90s scream ripoff. Uh, but barring that, I think that's uh, that's all I got. Take it easy, folks. <laughs>